Not even death itself could stop Jesus. He finished his work on the cross, but he had only just began building his church. Today, he is still calling out to the weary, the broken, and the lost. He is still healing, changing lives, and resurrecting dead hearts. For anyone who desires to come after him, for anyone who will deny themselves and take up their cross daily, for anyone who will lose their life for his sake, they will still find life. They will still be made new. They will become Jesus followers. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Well, I welcome you to a very special day for us as a church as we take part in communion today. And uh, very appropriate for us uh, in this season, of course, and then this series, Jesus Followers. This is a sacred moment that Jesus has given to us, the church. This is not just a um, religious exercise. This is not an attempt for us to gain salvation uh, or somehow pay off sins that we've committed. This is a celebration and a memorial of what Jesus has accomplished for us and the fact that we have life in him, that we have salvation already in him. It's an important distinction. Some churches um, and some people approach communion as a way to atone for their sin. But this, this is just juice and this is just unleavened bread that symbolizes the one who did atone for our sin, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's by faith we have uh, life in him. Jesus said we're to do this in remembrance of him. We're to remember the depth of his love for us on a day like this. We're to remember the covenant that he made. We're to remember the fullness of forgiveness. Did you know that you are actually in a place of full forgiveness of all your sins? past, present, and future. In Jesus Christ, this is what we have. And so we come to remember this today. Remember the sacrifice of his love for us, or in his love for us, the wonder of grace. Things like this keep us grounded. This keeps us positioned in who we are in this world as Jesus followers. Because Jesus said of us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So for us to know what that means, we have to know what it means that he took up his cross. And today, we look at that. I want to show you the Bible reading for this week. If you want to screenshot this with your phone, you're welcome to. Look on your app as well. This entire passage walks us through the last uh, days of Jesus' life before the crucifixion and in the resurrection. So it'll be a great reading this week for you as we move from today, Palm Sunday, on into Easter Resurrection Sunday, and especially as we take part in communion today. Our message today is called Followers Embrace the Cross. It's kind of an unusual thing that uh, a people on earth would embrace such an instrument of death would embrace a place of horror, would embrace such injustice. But this is at the core of who we are as Jesus followers. And sadly, it's, we, 
the world today has so little concept of even what we are doing today. As we're going to see today, the Apostle Paul will say that this and what Jesus has done on the cross is actually our place of celebration. But the world today is confused by all of this. The world today instead, sadly, is in a place of celebrating themselves. They boast in themselves. They have removed God from the throne and they've placed themselves on the throne. And so when you do that, then you elevate everything about yourself above everything else. And so what we're watching today is the world sadly elevating their own urges and appetites and desires and saying those things are my identity. If I feel something, that is what I am. So if they feel a certain way about any given subject, they assume that is their identity. This is who they are. And then out of that, they begin to choose lifestyles that fit that. And Jesus comes to free us from having to be a slave of our own urges and appetites. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm grateful that just because I don't have a temptation or an urge or an appetite, that that is who I am. I have been freed in Jesus Christ to be his son. And now I can rein in appetites and desires and say, that's not who I am. But in the absence of that, the world only knows to say, whatever appetite, urge, desire I feel, that is who I am. The world, sadly today, doesn't know what to do with their hurts, with their failures. And in place of knowing what to do, they also claim those as their identity. And so the world has chosen labels for themselves based on whatever hurt they've experienced. And they've branded themselves with that. I am this kind of person because I went through this. I am this kind of person because I failed at this. I am this kind of person because I can't do this. That's just tragic. Aren't you glad you are not labeled and branded and identified by your past failures? In Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. What was scarlet red sin became white as snow in forgiveness and righteousness. We are not our past. We are not our failures. We are not even our weaknesses. Sometimes, even in Christian circles, I hear, I hear people elevating their weaknesses and saying, well, this is just who I am. I'm not good at this. I struggle at this. I fall at this. And I get the place of honesty and humility, but I'm going to tell you, and I hope you are telling yourself the truth. You are not your failures. You are not your struggles. You are not your greatest weaknesses. You are a redeemed child of God, forgiven in Jesus Christ. Let's call ourselves who we are. Amen? Amen. The world in the absence of having love and forgiveness and identity in truth instead elevates themselves as God. And then 
elevates everything that they are as God. And then assume that they have even been born that way. This is who they are and forever will be. And then what we are seeing on display in front of us in the world is that same group. And you've heard me say this with some indignation maybe in the past, but I want to convey compassion and sadness this morning because that's, that's how Jesus sees the world today. And I want us to be clear about this. Those who are, who have elevated themselves as God are now beginning to rail against anyone who stands in opposition to them. They're beginning to lash out and they assume that their way now is to seek vengeance against those who stand for truth and stand for Christ in this day. And they assume this is their redemption, is in their own retribution by taking vengeance. And this is where the great distinction begins to fall between the world and Jesus' followers. Because as much as we stand for truth and life in Jesus Christ, we do not go about in this world taking vengeance on all who do not agree with us. Amen? We seek to proclaim the gospel and see others redeemed and set free. Because this is the spirit of Jesus in us. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. He is broken over the world's sin, as we should be. He is compassionate, and he calls us to take that message and free the captives to show that same compassion for others. He calls us to do just what he did, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. This does not mean we are better than those who don't believe. We are sinners who have come to Jesus. Not better than, but we have been redeemed by Jesus. And so we now have an identity that is not like we were. For you and I, we don't glory in our sin. We do what is upside down from the world. We are humble and even honest in admitting that we are sinners and weak in need of a savior. That's stark contrast to the world today that exalts itself and said, I'm not sinning, I'm doing what I was born to be. But on the other hand, for us as believers, as Jesus followers, we are honest. No, we are sinners in need of a savior. We are honest about that. We openly confess that. We admit that we have failed, but we admit that the blood of Jesus is our, our salvation, our redemption. We, we glory in the fact that God loved us while we were sinners. That while we were doing our own thing, exalting ourselves, even deifying our own desires, he loved us then and called us out of that. And 
made a way for us to be free. We glory in Jesus because of that. We glory in the one who laid down his life for us and we embrace him. And we embrace the cross. We embrace that place where our salvation was purchased. And the world doesn't understand this. The world looks at all of that and says, that's crazy talk. Why are you denying what you are, they would say to us. And we would say, we're not denying who we are. We are openly admitting we have failed. We have sinned. We need a savior. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we've come to him so that we may have life and have forgiveness and know peace with God. The world sees all of this as foolishness. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved and being redeemed, it is the power of God. This, this is our life. This is what it's all about. This is where our hope comes from. This is where our meaning comes from. And the man who wrote those words in 1 Corinthians was a man named Saul originally. Before he became the apostle Paul, he was Saul. And Saul, before he met Jesus, was like anyone in the world. He was like us before we came to Christ. He's like the world today that doesn't know Christ. He was looking for his worth in anything except Jesus. So what he did, he thought, I am going to become good at something so that I can at least get my validation from somewhere. I want people to acknowledge me. I want people to have a good view of me. I want people to think I'm something because this is where Saul was looking for his identity. He wanted approval from the crowd. He wanted to know he was good at something. So Saul said, I'm going to become religious. And I am going to do it to the max. He did. He writes over in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3 that he knocked the top out of it. I mean, he was considered the expert in the law. He was the man that everybody looked at and thought, this guy, he knows the law and he lives the law. He is the religion of the religious. He is it. He is the pinnacle. This guy has knocked it out of the park. And Paul got his worth in that. Saul got his worth in that. Saul leaned into it and he was disciplined. Man, he worked hard at it. He was smart. He applied himself. In fact, he says he was smarter than anyone else in, of any of his contemporaries when it came to knowing the law, religion, for him in his day. He was popular. He was powerful. And he was so passionate about this religion that he had poured himself into that he went out persecuting anybody else who didn't agree with him. He was it. He was boasting about himself because he knew he wanted to feel something. And he thought the way to feel it was by boasting about himself. That's what we're watching the world do today. That's why arrogance is such a deadly attitude to pick up because it's the way of the world that says, I will find my worth 
in what everybody thinks about me. I want to look good. I want people to talk good about me. I want to be known as good. And so I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to boast about myself and make everybody else bow to me because I'm looking for my worth there. The thing about Saul was he did all of the right things outwardly, but inside he was a mess. And only he knew it. Everyone that looked at him thought, that guy, he's got it together. He's got it all going on. He says he knows God. and He's always at the, every religious service, he's there. He's really knocking it out. But inside, Saul was hurting. Inside, Saul knew he was a fraud. Inside, Saul knew that he was just a shell. He looked good on the outside, but inside it was full of corruption. Inside he was a fake. Inside he was angry. Inside he was bitter. Inside he couldn't stop the anxiety. Inside he couldn't stop all of the thoughts about comparing himself with others. Inside he could not even rest. He could lay down, but his mind wouldn't shut off. He was continually racing because inside Paul was not what he said he was on the outside. And Saul even gave permission for a young man in the book of Acts to be stoned to death because he was a Jesus follower. The scripture doesn't connect that moment with what would happen with Saul. But I just have to wonder, if you were the guy who was arresting mothers and fathers and taking them away from their children, and those children are screaming, those children are crying, and those families are broken, and you're the reason for it, and you're putting them into prison, and you're watching the chaos that you are creating, And then Saul gives permission for young Stephen to be stoned and he sees his life taken away by the angry crowd and Saul's having to deal with all of this all the while while trying to be religious, while trying to go and do his thing, by trying to keep the law, the turmoil was mounting in his life because you cannot get to life by boasting in your own arrogance. There's no life in it. And there wasn't for Saul And all the boasting was just mounting, the pressure building in his life. Until one day, Jesus met him. Now, Saul lived on, or when we find out about Saul, he lives on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, and Jesus returned to heaven. But Jesus shows up to Saul after that on a road one day. And Saul is blinded by his glory. And Saul is forever changed in this moment because he saw in Jesus everything that he had longed for. Here is the love I have been chasing. Here is the peace with God that I've so desperately wanted. Here is redemption for my life that I could not get in all the other religious things I was doing. And in that moment, Saul chose 
to walk away from everything else he had and follow Jesus. I mean, that meant giving up all of his popularity, all of his religious position, all of his pedigree, all of his greatness, all of his reputation. Saul chunked every bit of that. In fact, later he would say he would count it as just garbage and press on to know Jesus because he saw in Jesus everything that he had wanted, everything that he had been longing for, and he knew nothing else was working. Because of this, Saul would write something that for us today, I think, embraces what this day is about. In Galatians 6.14, look what Paul writes. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I have tried boasting about myself I've tried boasting about how great I am. I've tried boasting about how I thought I could run my life. I've tried boasting about doing it my own way. I've tried all that stuff and it brought me to an absolute dead end. He said, and now, I'm not interested in that at all. Now, I only boast in the cross. He said, that is what I lift up. That is what I look to. That is my place of my hope and my forgiveness and my redemption. You see, just like Saul, this is what we do. We boast now in the cross. You see, Saul, in, Saul, Saul in the cross, I am loved. I don't know what his background was. I don't know all about his parents, his grandparents, the family he was a part of. I know about life enough to know that when any one of us don't know the love of a father and a mother and a stable home and a warm environment where we are encouraged and taught, that we begin to seek after our worth in other ways. The world's sin today is just their outward manifestation of them looking for something that's missing. They're hurting and they're looking everywhere for it. All of the wrong relationships, all of the wrong behaviors, they're coming out of a place of emptiness. This is what Saul had. But when he saw Jesus and he saw the cross, he said, that, that's the love I've been chasing. That's what I've been longing for. Heaven loves me. Paul would have said, I thought I had to perform in order to be loved. I thought I had to do enough in order to finally get heaven to look at me. He said, but when I was at my worst, heaven loved me. Jesus loved me. And the cross proved that. For Paul, the cross was peace with God. So many people today, they, 
they move into religion and church looking for peace. And they think, okay, well, maybe if I can take communion, maybe if I can give some money, maybe if I can do some good things, maybe just going to church, maybe that's enough to finally get a little bit of peace, just a little bit to cover over all of the confusion, all of the heartache, all of the anxiety. If I could just get a little bit of it. And most people go away thinking, I didn't do it. Because religion never will. You don't get peace by trying to do more for God. You get peace when you realize Jesus has done it all for you. Then, then you recognize, oh my, he, he gave his, his life for me to pay for my sin completely. And now I have peace with God. My spirit can breathe a sigh of relief. I don't have to fear heaven someday. I don't have to fear judgment someday. It is well with my soul today because of Jesus. This is what Paul saw. He saw he was loved. He saw he was forgiven. He saw there was peace. And he saw, I have a reason to live. I have something bigger to live for now. My, my debt has been paid there's peace with God. And so I'll forever now boast in the cross. I'll never boast about anything else. I'm not going to boast about my accomplishments. I'm not going to boast about my personality. I'm not going to boast about what all I've done. I'm going to boast about what Jesus has done for me. Because this is life. And the war for Paul in that moment was over. It was done. There was peace inside. And Paul said something next that was incredibly powerful for him and it speaks to us today. Here's what he says. This cross, he said, this is, this is what's changed me because it's by him, Jesus, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Another way of saying that is now that I know who loves me, now that I know I have peace with God, now that I know my sins are forgiven, I am dead to all of that out there. And all that is dead to me. You see, when you're looking for your identity and your worth and your validation and you don't have any of that because you haven't got it from God, you go looking for it everywhere. You go looking for it at work. You go looking for it in relationships. You go looking for it on social media. You go looking for it in your own pursuits. You go looking for it in your own free time. Something to fill up the void. And Paul said, I found it. I found it in Jesus. And I'm free now. And all that out there, it's dead to me. I don't look at the world and think, ooh, I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I need that, man. I really. Paul said, that it's just, it's dead to me. It's cut off. I look at it and there's nothing there anymore for me. I see it. I see people rushing to it, but I don't. 
don't have the attraction for it anymore. Because when you come to Christ, he'll change your attractions. As Candy pointed out earlier, he'll change the things that you desire, your affections. So don't tell me today that because of where you've walked, because of the attractions you have, because of the affections you have, because of the desires you have, because of the appetites you have, that that is who you are, it doesn't have to be who you are. There's pain driving that. There's emptiness driving that. Come to Jesus. He'll change your affections, your attractions, and you'll find yourself dead to all of that and alive like never before in Jesus. So today, we have the opportunity to participate in this wonderful cross, this sacrifice. We have the opportunity to follow Jesus and do what he said we are to do. Paul went on and wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, instructions for a moment like this. He wrote to a church like us who was attempting to live out their faith, who were attempting to follow Jesus, who were attempting to practice this faith that's been handed down to us. And it tells us there in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, it starts, or 23. It says, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. On the night when things didn't go his way, on the night when the world turned against him, he did something. He says he took bread. Verse 24, it said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. So in just a moment, you'll get to participate in this experience. What we have here looks like for us Texans as a saltine cracker, right? But to the, to the Jew and to Jesus, this was bread. This was unleavened bread. Unleavened in that it did not have any yeast in it. It takes out all the part that makes it fluffy and puffy and warm and white for us, right? To be unleavened in the Old Testament and in for the New Testament was a picture of having the sin removed because leaven was a picture of sin. And so for the Jew, they clearly understood that to remove the leaven was a picture of pure bread. And so Jesus said, this bread that you're about to receive, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It is without sin. It is also uh, striped, as you see, in the way it has been cooked and baked. And that's to remind us that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. His body was whipped, torn, striped. It has been through the fire. Jesus went through the fire of the world's judgment but also the Father's judgment for sin. On the cross, he bore the pain
pain and the judgment that you and I deserved. And this bread has been pierced. There are holes in it. The body of Jesus was pierced as a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. As a spear was thrust into his side. And Jesus said, this bread is my body. And it has been broken. And then Jesus said these two words, for you. This is not just a religious thing that Jesus did. It was a demonstration of his love that is meant to be intensely personal. Because in just a moment, you'll have the opportunity to take this bread and you will eat it. It is personal for you. The death of Jesus was for your specific sins. The ones that others around you are very well aware of and the ones that only you are well aware of. He's aware of your failings, your weaknesses, your sins. And as a result of that, he gave his life for you. And this bread is to remind us of that so that it frees us from all the tormenting thoughts of guilt and shame and anxious thoughts that we're going to be found out, known, discovered, that we somehow have to cover, that we have to prove ourselves, that we have to live controlling life, that we have to live trying to make it all perfect. Jesus said, no, I want you to take and eat because this is life for you. This will free you from all of those tormenting thoughts. You don't have to find a way to medicate the pain. You don't have to find a way to run away from the pain. You have to find a way to come to Jesus who will free you from the pain because this bread is his body which was broken for you and for me. And it should be a forever remembrance of this is how deeply he loved me. But Jesus would go on and say, now when you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Take this bread and remember how deeply the Father loves you. Remember how much you are forgiven. See your sins removed from your account. See you free, at peace with God. Remember this. And then Jesus would go on and say, or in the Bible would tell us about Jesus, that in the same manner, he also took the cup. So Jesus had a cup that had the red wine in it, and he would take that cup after the meal and say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was saying, I'm establishing a new covenant. 
a new covenant for us to live by. The old covenant was based on the law. The old covenant was based on the sacrifices of lambs for the sin of the people that had to be offered continually year after year after year. The sacrifices had to be made. A sinless lamb or spotless lamb had to be chosen to be the sacrifice for the people. And Jesus was saying, I'm instituting a brand new covenant tonight. He would say, I am now the one who is shedding my blood. John the Baptist would say, here's the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus would say, I'm instituting a new covenant. And I love the fact that he said a covenant and not a contract. Because a contract is only as good until one of the parties breaks that contract and then it's done. It's a covenant. In other words, it's permanent. Now stay with me on this next part. It'll get a little confusing, but it's incredibly important. The covenant that Jesus made was with the Father. He was beginning a new covenant arrangement with God. A covenant between the Son and the Father. A covenant based on blood, his blood, his death for sinners. An agreement, but a covenant that would forever pay for the sin of those that he died for. And so if Jesus makes the covenant with the Father, do you think that covenant can ever be broken? It cannot. Because it's made with his blood, it is between two perfect parties to begin with and based on the blood of Jesus. Now, here's what Jesus said. If you, if anyone, will come to me, in me, they will find life and life abundant. And if anyone confesses their sin, he is faithful and just to forgive them of their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Stay with me. Because now, what he calls us to is to follow him by faith. And when we enter in to following Jesus by faith, we get everything that is in the covenant that Jesus and the Father made. And so I, like Jesus, become part of the family of heaven. Yes? That's, the, that's how you become a child of the king because you entered in by faith into the covenant and you receive all of the rights and privileges. You become seated next to the Father in heaven. You get forever eternity. You get the favor of the Father. You get 
his righteousness. You got it, not because you earned it, but because you confessed your sins and followed Jesus, you entered into the covenant that the Son made with the Father, and this is what that covenant is based on. His blood, not your sacrifice, his blood, not your perfection, his blood, not your works, his blood. That permanent is beautiful. That covenant is joyful. That covenant is permanent. Amen? This is the covenant we have now in Jesus. And so when you and I take this bread and take this cup, we are far from just practicing some religious exercise. We are remembering the covenant that Jesus established with the Father and the fact that he invited us by faith to come in. And once you're in, you're in. Amen? And so Jesus said, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to remember this. Because Paul would go on to say this. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, he's coming again. And until he does, we're going to keep doing this right here. Because I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're free. You have peace with God. Your salvation is permanent with God. He holds you forever in his hand because he established the covenant, not us. So I'm going to pray. After I pray, I want you to take as much time as you want in your seat to pray. If you need to take some time, in fact, I'd encourage you to take some time to thank God for this covenant. Thank God for the cross. Thank him for the blood. Thank him for the cup and the bread this morning. And after you've had your time of thanking him, confessing, whatever it is you need to do, then you feel free to come here and you pick up a cup and a piece of bread and return to your seat. And then when you are ready, you take that. Because this today needs to be personal, intimate for you. So we don't have to all do this at once, but we'll do it when you are ready. The band is going to lead us in a worship time. But you have time. This moment is about him and his covenant, right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that while we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us. While we were incapable of being righteous, good, you made a way for us to be forgiven. You proved your love to us. So I thank you for the cross. We embrace it this morning. We boast in it this morning. For there is our life. I thank you for this cup and this bread this morning. We take it in with great humility and worship and 
wonder and awareness of what it means. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.